us honor the United States of America. Out of respect for our country, we ask that you please remove your hats. Veterans, please salute. You're invited to join Cain Callis, son of the late, great Phillies Hall of Fame broadcaster Harry Callis, as Cain sings our national anthem. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight for the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets red glare the bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag was still there oh that star-spangled banner wave for the land of the free. And the home of the brave. Well, what's up, folks? Now, I will tell you, that's the way to start the show tonight. It is episode 98, and I will tell you this much. I am beyond excited this evening, not only to have one of these great gentlemen that has lived and resided basically in Philly just about all of his life. And then you have the other gentleman that is the son of the late, great Harry Callis, which we all love dearly to this day, and we will always love Harry. Kane Callis, which you just heard him sing the national anthem, so not a better way to start off the show than with Kane Callis singing the national anthem. I have Ruben standing in the green room along with Kane Callis, Dylan, the godfather, we are excited to have these gentlemen on tonight. And if you guys want to take that memory long road trip back to 2008, and we'll go even back further than that, because in order to get 2008, well, it had to start earlier. So we know that Pat Gillick was a GM at the time. Ruben was making his move as far as becoming the assistant GM. So he was able to celebrate and put together along with Pat that 2008 World Series team. And then came 2009, become the National League Championship GM. We came close, but it's okay. We never forget the people who've helped Philly fans and Philadelphians all the years of going through the woes and then going through the highs. And we hope that it's soon to be future Phillies team to get back up there. But we are nonetheless excited to have both Ruben and Kane on right on the other side here. It is episode 98. Thank you everyone for tuning in from all over the States, overseas and down in Brazil. We always appreciate and value everything you guys do for us. So I'm Angel. Let's get the show going. This is Broad Street South.
Now, I already see the comments coming in, so just hold on for the comments. I see you guys at the moment here. We'll introduce, as we always do every single week, it is the Godfather, Mike Fuji. Wait a minute. You didn't throw your arms up in the air like you just don't care. What happened there? Nala, <laughs> how you doing, Angel? Stalk good, Stalk some baseball, Ruben Amaro Jr., Kane Callis. Let's have a great show. Let's get right into it. Yes, sir. And we can't forget also our local Tampa correspondent who's become a huge Phillies fan and, by the way, has celebrated, as we just learned recently, his 200th episode on his podcast, starting at the age of 11. Of course, I'm kidding. Starting about the age of 14. Dylan, how are you this evening? I'm doing good, guys. It is a great day. We got Ruben Amaro Jr. and Kane Callis. I mean, those two guys, it's going to be a fun show. I can't wait. Let's get right into this. It's going to be tons and tons of fun. I'm going to bring back my screen here so everyone can see, just like I do here. If you guys do not follow these two gentlemen, well, I'm going to show you how you can end up doing it here. As you can see right there on your screen, and I'll even blow it up just a little bit more so you guys can end up seeing here. Ruben Amaro Jr. under Raj, right, small r, then you got your hyphen or underscore two zero. So you guys can follow him just like we do here on the show. The same way with Kane. If you guys, real simple, Kane Callis, follow both of these guys just like every Phillies fan does out there. Whether you are here, whether you're overseas, no matter where you are, make sure you give these two guys a follow. And with that being said, I want to bring both gentlemen on here at the same time. First of all, both gentlemen, Ruben, Kane, thank you guys so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. Angel, Mike, and uh, Dylan, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, Mike thanks for thank, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So cool to be here with my man Kane as well. Yeah, I actually just saw Ruben uh, a couple weeks back at a Darren Dalton Foundation event. That's right. That's right. I went so earlier, Ruben. I, I was trying to save it as a surprise because I reached out to, to Kane. Uh, earlier this week, actually, and we we're trying to get together here for an episode. And then you coming on, then I reached out back up to Kane and I said, if you don't mind, both of them have him on. So I wanted to try and surprise you, but at the same time, I want to make sure that Kane knew as well. So kind of like the surprise here that you guys both are. But thank you guys again for both being on here on the show. Uh, we'll get to you guys here in the comments in a second. But Ruben, I will say uh, thank you again so much for what you did, not only for the city fell off. I mean, bringing a championship back to the city. Since 1980, and we're going to go back to your childhood, so I'm just going to start off here with the, the, with the thank you at the moment. But thank you so much for what you did because it's been a long time, and it was a long time the last time we saw a championship. And that sea of red down Broad Street, if just looking at it, just like the sea of green that we saw for the Eagles championship, it was just so well-deserved. And at a time when the city needed just that lifting spirit for everyone to just enjoy we can't thank you enough for what you did for his organization. Well, I can tell you, Angel, uh, it, it obviously was a, a full team effort. Uh, Pat Gillick is a Hall of Famer, and there's a reason why. And uh, he kind of put the finishing touches on a lot of the work that Ed Wade and other guys like Mike Arbuckle and, and so many others that had uh, such a big part uh, in bringing that championship to Philadelphia. But I sure was proud to be able to, to – to be uh, working my way down that uh, that float, uh, onto that float through uh, Broad Street. It was a spectacular moment for me and something that the fans really deserved. It was real fun. Well, I, I will say, and I'll, as I shared the story, so for a lot of folks that, that 
weren't able to at least to catch up with what we were seeing here off air. So I was fortunate as Ruben was. When Ruben, uh, in 1980, when his dad was on the team and uh, played a position here or had a position with the with the Phillies, Ruben was able to be the bad boy at the time. So he got to celebrate like the rest of us here the, the first championship. So again, father-son moment. 1980, yeah. I was fortunate to be with my dad to celebrate. And the one thing that I will say, so... And, and Ruben came for both of you guys here. And I don't think I've ever shared with the guys as well. So my dad and I, we're at the game. We get to celebrate. And like everyone else, we make the trip all the way up to City Hall. Mind you, we parked the car at uh, at the vet at the time. So we park it. We go celebrating with everybody. And this is before the L ran as long as it does today and even the buses. So we make the hike and the trip all the way up to City Hall. And my dad looks at me and goes, um, okay, so how are we getting back to the car? I'm like, Good question. So we ended up walking back. But we celebrated that night, and, and that was, it was nostalgic because then in 2008, at the time, uh, with my stepson, he was 10 years old, same age that I was with my dad, and basically ended up doing the same thing. So it was, it, that's why I say you have no idea how much memories it brought back to me. Good memories, and and you always want to have that, and, and that stays with you forever, just like the Eagles championship. So again, thank you so much for what you did for us. Well, I'll tell you, it's a father-son uh, theme here. There's no question about it, and things uh, seem to come full, full circle. But what a joy it was for me as a as a kid, you know, 15, 16-year-old kid, enjoying that, uh, enjoying that first championship and then uh, getting an opportunity to be part of the Phillies organization and be, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a, an important part of, of the next championship. It was uh, – it, it's pretty spectacular. I know that Kane probably has the same sort of feeling having uh, kind of gone through that himself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it just, you know, 2008 was, was so electric. Uh, just my dad had been waiting for so many years uh, for, for that moment uh, to happen, you know, and, and growing up with, with him, watching him just come home after every single game, I could tell, you know, the look on his face just when he when he came home, even if I missed the game for whatever reason, whether the Phillies had won or lost, and then it was it was an incredible year. That it was, and I I will tell you this much, Kane and and Fuji, I'm going to turn over here to you in, in a second. But uh, even though I moved down here to Tampa, right, the one person that comes with me down here to Tampa still your dad, even if uh, it's I just, love it. even if it's just that 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 figure that we know that we see at, at Citizen Bank Park. And the reason also why I played your national anthem there. So when I moved here, it was April of 2018. I was fortunate and waited until uh, 2017 when Eagles won. And I'll tell you guys a quick story how I ended up down here. But that you were over at the, your dad's statue is over by section 140. And that day in particular, I had no idea that you ended up singing the national anthem. I heard that you were that you were, and so I wanted to see you live in action. And from where you were to where the camera was positioned, I was right there. And in my head, I thought, you know, one day if I get to speak to Kane, I would love to ask him about his dad, you know, his upbringing, you know, how it was. And and again, you think about things like this, and you never know what comes to fruition. And here you are with us tonight. And it's the same way with Ruben. You know, you you think about as a fan, everybody knows it. Philly fans. Philadelphia fans, period, are tough. And we go through it, and there's just times we're like, oh, why did this have to happen the way it did? But it makes you stronger. Even as a person, it makes you stronger. So I know they say, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. I believe that if you make it in Philadelphia, you can definitely make it anywhere because you have to have super thick skin. 
And before I turn over to Fuji here, the reason why I ended up down here in Tampa, and I've told uh, my coworkers a story. My dad retired. It's been over, I think, 16 years at this point now. And when he came down to Florida, his two choices were either Florida or Hawaii. So my sister and I said, well, dad, if you move to Hawaii, the tough part's going to be, you know, we have to, the airfare, you're six hours away. It's going to be kind of tough if you get sick and stuff. So I think Florida would be better. So my dad moves to Florida. First year he's down here, calls me up, says, Angel, what do you think about moving down here to Florida? I said, dad, no, you know what? I love my sports teams. I want to stay home. I have a great job. You know, call me next year. So he does the same thing. He does this for about a good two to three years. Finally, the third year, I said, I tell you what, Dad, the year the Eagles win the Super Bowl, I will move to Tampa, Florida. And it's exactly <laughs> what I did. Good timing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Ruben, just to jump in a little bit, you were on four World Series teams, too. It was a bad boy, 80-83, part of the 93 team in 2008 and 2009. So technically five, my mistake. What was it like being with a bat boy with Mike Schmidt, Pete Rose, playing with the guy, the uh, Macho Row guys, and then having Jimmy, Ryan, Chase, Cole, Roy, Roy Halliday, and so on? I mean, when you think about it, I've been um, so, so fortunate to be around, like, Philadelphia sports legends my whole life. Um, you know, to be able to kneel next to Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt and Larry Boa and Dallas Green, um, all those people that meant so much to the Phillies organization over the years, uh, to be able to work with Paul Owens and Dallas um, and my dad. Um, right. And then, you know, be able to play with guys like Darren Dalton and John Cruck and Lenny Dykstra and my good friend Dave Hollins, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just pretty amazing. And, and, and then obviously having like three of the best players in the history of their uh, positions in, in Ryan, Jimmy and Chase. Uh, I, I've been really lucky. Um, you know, people don't get to get a chance to live this life and, uh, and, and also to be around and, and to be in hotel rooms and travel with guys like Harry Callis and Whitey Ashburn. I mean, if you think about it, I've, you know, been with and worked with some of the greatest legends of Philly's history. And, uh, and I couldn't be more grateful. I've, uh, I've learned a lot from a lot of people, um, including Kane's dad, uh, learned how to be a professional, uh, learn how to do, um, and think about that all the time as a broadcaster as well. I mean, now that I'm doing the broadcast, um, can't tell you, uh, Fuj, how fortunately I, fortunate I am to have been around these people um in one way shape or or another and it's uh it's truly an honor to be to have been around them because they are you know they, they've been integral parts of the history of our of our franchise as far as kane i had the fortunate chance to meet your dad he came to my elementary school in third grade i still have his autograph from this day and what a very down-earth gentleman to talk to you just i was there at your dad's um ceremony that the phillies had because i was a game day employee for 16 years and you know it was a pleasure meeting you and you know just being there for your dad's ceremony yeah yeah that was a beautiful ceremony that the phillies uh put on and 
uh, I think a lot of Philadelphia fans, you know, have a story of having met my father or, or uh, you know, gotten an autograph from him or, uh, you know, him doing uh, somebody's voicemail for them. I mean, he was so generous with his with his time to the fans. You know, it was actually it was a true story. When I used to go to the game, you know, my dad, first of all, he'd show up early. Right. But right. so that was part of it. But my dad would say, son, you want to you want to come with me? And I'd be like, well, you know, by the time the game finishes and dad signs every autograph and we get home, you know, he'd be there at the end of the game signing every last person's autograph. I'd, I'd already be home for an hour by the time he got home. So, uh, right. yeah, was, that's just the way he was. Uh, so generous with his time. He loved the Philadelphia fans. And um Especially I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, Harry and and my dad had a lot to uh, a lot in common then because my dad did the same thing everywhere he went as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. son, you know, these are the people that pay your pay your salaries. You got to take care of these people. They they're here for a reason. You're absolutely right. A lot of late nights waiting around for autographs piece to be signed. Yeah, and my I don't you know I I don't think my dad ever really. It truly understood the effect he had on the community. You know, I, I remember the story. I was, I was at a hibachi restaurant in Springfield, and I was there with my dad. And you know, I, I could see. You know, I always notice when people are whispering to each other, and they're, you know, that's Harry Callie. You know, and he he never had any idea. And the hibachi chef finished, and my dad. You know, I'm I'm young and maybe a little bit embarrassed to by the attention. My dad stands up and starts to clap for this. Hibachi show, he gives him a standing, and and I see everybody around the room pointing like, oh, Harry, Harry's standing up, and now all of a sudden the whole restaurant, right, not just our table, all the tables around the restaurant are standing up, giving this guy, you know, that was the best ovation this guy's ever gotten. That's always, it, it's you know, it's amazing. It's the stories. I think there's there's so many stories behind the mic when you don't see everyone you know in in their element. It's it's completely different. I'm pretty sure between both you guys, between Harry and and Ruben, you know it's it's tough because you do want to you want to be one with the fan base. And then there's there could have been days and and Ruben, I'm pretty sure you went through it. When as a GM, it's it's kind of tough when things don't go the direction you want to go. Sometimes you got to put on that face like I don't want to, and I'm not. I'm just saying this hypothetically, so I don't want any fans to think that this is coming from Ruben. But there's times I'm pretty sure as GMs and managers, you know, and different people in higher positions, where it's just I don't want to not be rude, not talk to the fans right now because I'm kind of in the moment, but I'm going to go do it anyways, only because they, you know, they are they're there, they're paying the price, they're paying the tickets, they're coming to see the product that that's out there on the field. But no matter what, it it just seems. Between both you, Kane, your your dad, Harry, and Ruben yourself, you always took the time, no matter even if it was a quick wave, as you're walking by, whatever it was you were doing, it, you were you were always in the light to let the fans know that listen, I see you, and we're happy that we've done what we've done with the organization. And yeah, I also feel the impact from you guys feeling the wrath that we had to feel after that 2009 season. But yeah, I, I got. I have to tell you that um, I guess that you learn that from your father, right? You right. you learn from uh, you, you, this is all learned behavior and and just having an understanding of what the fans are about. Hey, I was uh, I was uh, probably as as upset about uh, some of our failures as as the fans were, if not more so. So, I mean, I you know I I worked for the Phillies, but I was always always a fan of the Phillies, and I always have been and always will be. Um, I'll always bleed Phillies red, and so. I, I understand, you know, when, when there's frustration, I get it because I was uh, every bit as frustrated as, as anyone else, but just having watched my dad handle some of the, you know, ups and downs of, of the business, because it can be uh, difficult at times. I think that helped. 
I uh, wasn't perfect all the time, but I hope that I um, gave the people the respect that they deserved when, um, you know, when addressing us or, or talking with us. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll never be nearly as classy as my dad was, but um, but it was also something that, you know, you try to at least take take with you uh, some of the things that you learn from your dad. And I'm sure Kane Kane watched that happen with his father as well. Yeah, it's it's not like it's 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 tough because you do have your family. You want to make sure that as you represent you and your family, you know, it's like I said, it can go both ways. It can go really well or it can go really bad. The good thing is, is that we have a lot of great memories again from both gentlemen. And for that, like I said, there's a lot of thank yous that can go across the board because you guys did your best that you possibly could. And Kane, same way with you coming out, you know, to Citizens Bank Park for to. I will tell you that I have you have more guts than I do as far as to be standing in front of you know thousands of people and be able to sing the national anthem because the minute I do it, I know there'd be that frog in my throat and it would be over. <laughs> so you know, it's just the respect I think that what the fans have from the city and and everywhere for that matter to see what what was put together with the Phillies and how it's been and how it continues to grow. I mean, we're not. By any means, you know, the Phillies are not where they want to be, but they're finally making them those steps forward to where they, they want to be. Unfortunately, with the lockout here, it's going to hold it back a little bit, but it's okay because we'll see what the product is. But again, I, I want to kind of revert backwards here, Ruben, with you and, and starting back with your childhood as we make our way back towards the 2008 season. As a child, for you, what was the other than like most of us usually say, like, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a police officer, or maybe a fireman. As a child, what was the first thing? that came to mind to you that you wanted to be? You know, it's funny. Way back when, I, I had this, like, affinity to animals. So a veterinarian was, like, the thing that I wanted to be. And then right there after that, when I started playing sports, soccer was really my thing. And I, uh, I actually thought that, uh, that I was going to make that a career. Um, you know, I probably was, as, a, as an uh, adolescent and as a youth, I was probably a better soccer player naturally than I was a baseball player. And I think the switch really came with baseball was when I got an opportunity, as we spoke about before, just being around, you know, those great players in the in the late 70s and early 80s as a bat boy, um, just watching, you know, idolizing Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton and all those guys. Um, that's watching the, the life that they lived. That was the thing that I think that was a little bit of the impetus behind wanting to become a baseball player. It just seemed so fun and and cool and um Fortunately, I got an opportunity to play, you know, baseball in college and and then, uh, you know, try to move my or my my career forward. But soccer was my first love as far as sports are concerned. And uh, and I at one point wanted to be a veterinarian, I guess, way back when. Right. Ruben, as far as uh, being around Dallas Green and Charlie Manuel, how would you describe each manager World Series winning manager? the Phillies yeah Dallas obviously um had worn a ton of hats in the game as a major league pitcher um someone who then uh became you know a scout involved in farm uh, farm director a um and and then uh and then he became a president uh of the Chicago Cubs I mean he wore so many hats as a manager etc etc I think one of the things that um that was very similar between the two guys. Obviously, physically, they're two big, strong men, right? Two very imposing, strong men. I think 
Uh, Dallas was one of those people who, um, believe it or not, had and 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 Charlie as well, big strong men who are kind of uh, you know hard nosed, but their their interior is pretty soft, man. They were very very thoughtful people. Um, they cared a lot about the people that worked with them. Um, and you can talk to any one of their, uh, guys. I know there was a time when, you know, some of the players didn't, didn't like Dallas too much cause he tried to push the right buttons. But at the end of the day, he had a lot of love for those players. And there was a lot of love that came back, um, mm-hmm. later on. Cause I think they understood what his process was. I think Dallas was a little in it, in it, you know, worked as a manager in an era when, you can get on players a little bit more than you and you probably can today um, and to challenge them a little bit more publicly. Um, Charlie was, uh, was a lot a great psychologist in a lot of ways. He was, uh, he was a good friend and he was uh, a great person to work with and for. Um, I was one of his, uh, you know, I was one of the guys that uh, he worked a lot with, uh, even right. though I didn't play very much when he was my, hitting coach in, in Cleveland before he came to Philadelphia and, and I came back to Philadelphia, but, um, and he worked very hard to, with, with everybody in the staff, but um, they knew, I think in, in each case, um, each one of those managers really knew that they cared about their players and they cared about their city and, and really wanted to be winners. And, uh, and obviously they were, can I ask you a story about one time and I think the Phillies were slumping in 80 and I, I think Paul Owens, I think it was on a West coast trip from what I heard. I heard he came in there like a buffet for the guys in the clubhouse. And I think they were on a losing streak. And he basically, the rumor was Paul Owens came in there, flipped the whole clubhouse upside down toward that team in the, you know what, and that basically might have lit a fire under those guys. Can you uh, vouch for that story? Well, I will say this. Specifically, I'm not sure if that story is true. What I will say is this, that, um, you know, these two men, Paul Owens and Dallas Green, were extremely passionate about winning. And, uh, And they worked a lot of long hours to get there. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes the emotions get the best of you. Sometimes you feel like those are the things that can motivate a team. And uh, it's, it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, through that, through the late seventies, they, they, they just didn't have that it factor. Right. Right. But something happened in 1980 when Dallas took over um, that kind of pushed things along. And he, and that, that combination of Paul Owens and Dallas green, uh, their passion for the game and their passion to win, I think, overrode a lot of things and, and pushed, pushed a lot of guys to, to go to the next level, and that's what happened. Can you tell the difference between working with Ed Wade as opposed to Pat Gillick? Uh, obviously, very two, two very different men, both with a tremendous passion for the game. Ed uh, wore a ton of hats. I mean, he started off as like a, um, an, a PR intern. And so Ed um, had been in almost every part of the game, went over and did some a lot of arbitration stuff, worked with a guy named Tal Smith for, for uh, several years doing arbitration stuff. So he learned about contracts and, and all those sorts of things and then worked as an assistant uh, GM 
um, for several years before becoming the GM in Philadelphia. So, um, you know, he had gotten an opportunity to spend a lot of time in the game and learn the game. Um, he was a player, I think, uh, briefly at Temple University as well, but also a pretty intense guy and a guy that, um, that got an opportunity and did a lot of, uh, spent a lot of time with guys, the baseball guys, like the Jim Fergosis of the world and, and, uh, and learned John Vukovic's of the world. And I think uh, they learned, he learned a lot of things. I think um, Ed's work ethic was beyond anybody's I could ever have been around. He was a great teacher for me and a great leader for me and a great friend. Um, and he deserves a ton of credit for what the kind of success that we had, you know, through those, um, through those years, 07 through, uh, through 12. He was not part of the organization at the time necessarily. But uh, he had a huge impact on on our success. I mean, as far as Pat Gillick is concerned, I mean, Pat was uh, he had the ability to do so many things. He was he had a photographic memory still, you know, still does. He um, he's very passionate about the game. Again, another guy started off as a scout years ago in many, many different organizations, wore many hats, um, you know, and uh, built organizations from the ground up in Toronto um had the the success he had in seattle i mean obviously a hall of famer um but the great thing about both of these guys and he's a very close friend and mentor of mine as well um and i'm honored to be have been to have worked with them i think the greatest thing about both those guys that they gave me a lot of autonomy they gave me a lot of opportunities to fail and a lot of opportunities to have success and to be a, a an integral part of their uh, journeys here in Philadelphia. And uh, to the, to that, I owe them a lot uh, because I got the experience. I think that was necessary for me to, to get that opportunity as a GM. As far as when you traded for Roy Halliday, were you pursuing that very hard just to go after him? I mean, did it take time behind the scenes? Oh, it took a ton of time. Um, that was the one thing that I that I talked about for years was, uh, you know, pitching has always been the most important thing to me. And obviously, with Roy having been in spring training against us for so many years in Toronto, right, right. there, right next door in Dunedin, right. And uh, right. Dylan knows a little something about that. But <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, you know, just having watched him and having and having uh, gotten to know him um, at least from afar. Uh, he was the type of competitor that you would love to have in Philadelphia and, and uh, in some ways became a little bit of my white whale when I became the GM. Uh, it took a little while to get it done, but uh, we, we, we tried and tried and tried and finally got it done. I got a question for you, Ruben. Um, you know, with Roy Holiday, we saw in that documentary that ESPN had put out, the imperfect documentary, we kind of saw that kind of unravel of his career towards the back half of his career, especially with his personal issues that he dealt with. For you as a, man, a GM, did you, like, see that at all? And wh whether it be in his, you know, physique, like, was there any signs that he was dealing with any personal stuff off the field? You know, you, you, you sometimes would wonder, I guess, um, if for me it was just um, – I saw in with my eyes, I saw a guy that um, whose body had started to fail him and a person who did not want to have that happen. Um, and he was doing everything in his power 
um, as far as, you know, getting himself onto the field and to be able to perform at the level he would typically be performing. Um, but he just, his body just did not let him. I mean, he had a broken back. He had a, you know, his shoulder was starting to go. He had all types of things going on. And I think he was just trying to, you know, do what, I mean, he's the most accountable person I've ever been around. And, uh, and I think he was just trying to, he, he felt like it was his obligation to perform at the highest level he could possibly perform at. And unfortunately his body started to fail him. In case you guys are just joining us, by the way, uh, we have Ruben Amaro Jr. on with us tonight, along with Kane Callis. And, and, you know, the the funny thing is the overwhelming feeling, Ruben, and I would say to both you gentlemen, again, because Kane, I, I've been wanting to talk to you for, for many, many years here. It's just, it's the overwhelming feeling that, you know, again, even though you guys may not, again, know us as far as personally, but what you've done and how much it's impacted us. That's why I keeps I can't say enough thank you to you guys because of what you guys have done. And so we do appreciate again for both of you guys being on. But Kane, I want to go to you here for a second. You started online professionally playing, and if I remember poker, and then you used the handle, I believe it was NASCAR 1949, if I'm correct. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So now was it a tie-in as far as when it comes to NASCAR? It was just something that, that you end up are you a NASCAR fan or just something that just came up out of the blue? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. No. So it's, I, I was sitting there ruminating. I'm like, what name, if somebody sits down against me and he's an amateur player, recreational player, you know, and he loses his money, what name's he going to remember? You know, and I was thinking all capital NASCAR would be a good one. Now, you're probably going to remember that name. So next time, if he wants to come back, try to win his money back. Uh, <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll remember, he'll remember who, who won it from him. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I didn't see that way. I thought maybe you're a huge NASCAR fan. And so I, I <laughs> thought we we're going to get into a whole different segment, but also looking, looking at you now, I always butcher his name. So don't, don't uh, hold it against me. I it's, is it the less miserable, miserable. I always say uh, it wrong. Le, Le there you go. So yep. mm-hmm. thank you for correcting. Cause I, again, I always butcher every single time. <laughs> How was it being involved uh, with the play? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, so I did that uh, play in high school and I played uh, Andre Ross, the, the leader of the revolution, which was so much fun, but I'd always wanted to to play Javert. And then when I got a chance to do that uh, for a, you know, community theater in, in Maniunk, um, it was great. I mean, uh, you know, performing has some has been something I've always loved. I've always enjoyed. And uh, especially, uh, you know, a show like Les Miserables, it's uh, it's it's it was just really special. Now, other than, than that one, you, you're also involved, I think, as well. Was it Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, if I remember correctly, as well? Yeah, yeah. I was in I was in Jekyll and Hyde as well, uh, and I, I played uh, Mr. Utterson there, the supporting male role, and that's really a great musical. It's it's an underrated musical. Um, the music's by Frank Wildhorn, uh, and he's my favorite uh, musical composer, modern musical composer. Um, he did that as well as Scarlet Pimpernel. Uh, both, I highly, highly recommend those those musicals. I have a I have a question for you though, Angel. I see sure. behind we got a we got a bear's helmet here. So I see the lightning. I'll cut you I'll cut you some some factors there because you moved to Tampa. What's going on with the bear's helmet? I mean, what what am I looking at here? All right, so good question. Is usually, right <laughs> Fuji, Fuji's the one that's usually busting my chops, but so my producer who's in Studio B in the other room. 
She is originally from the Chicago area. So she is the Chicago Bears fan, uh, Blackhawks fan, White Sox fan, which uh, majority of the family is the Cubs fan. So her, her son, actually her and her two sons uh, are White Sox fans. So the Bears that's up there you see behind me here is because of uh, my producer, Debbie, my my girlfriend. So she she's always loved them, and she won't sway away from them as much as uh, – Fuji there, the guy up top, he likes to bust my chops every single time, but a Tebby Buccaneers and swears that I have a Tom Brady jersey in my closet. And there's no, yeah. Are you, are you a, are you an Eagles fan first then? Oh yeah. Always diehard Eagles fan. Okay. That's okay then. We're all right there, Angel. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, diehard Eagles fan, diehard. Listen, I'm four for four as far as back home. It's fun to watch the lightning down here. And the reason why I have down here, because being part of Tampa, being able to see two championships as well was pretty amazing, especially the because it's the first time I've ever seen a boat parade, and that was wild. Even during COVID, it was wild the way it was, and, it, and it's fun because it's something that you don't get to experience. So, I again, I get to see two World Series championships from the Phillies. I get to see, finally, that massive World Championship from the Eagles that everyone just was dying and waiting for, and we walked from – I always forget the name of the place – but I was with w, uh, 94 WIP that night with uh, Jimmy Seltzer, John Barchard. Uh, there was a bunch of us at down on Delaware Avenue. And I know I remember the name of the club. But we walked from there to Center City. And we were actually doing a live broadcast through as we walked down to Center City. And those are memories that were always going to live with me. Because it's stuff that you had to be in the hometown for, for anyone to understand. And then talking to people down here in Tampa – to express that feeling like you guys have no idea. Just imagine waiting 52 years for anything, for a big break in your company, any which way, and you finally win it, and you're just in awe. Like, did it really happen? Because all of us were looking up at the screen like we're waiting for that one Hail Mary toss from Tom Brady, either Gronk or someone else in the catching it. And so the euphoria that you felt, it's not the same down here. Like the Bucks won last year, the Super Bowl, and it was almost like, yay, that was cute. <laughs> There wasn't, you know, it's not the same feeling. So now they're nine and three and they're doing great things down here, but it's the same exact way. People are like, oh yeah, 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 we, we, we did a thing last year. You guys were the only team in history to win it in your own backyard. So it's not the same. Now, when you talk about college sports on here, like Florida, you know, uh, the Gators, you name it, anything college. Oh my God, this place goes absolutely nuts. But on Sunday, it's like that switching gear Saturdays. It's all about the college football. On Sundays, it's, like, it's almost kind of like take or leave it. So as, as far as in the back wall here, as much as once again, my co-host likes to bust my chops, that's the reason why this stuff is back there. But, you know, I, I Philly is always going to be there for me. It, I left the city, but the city never leaves me, as a lot of people love to say. So when I'm down here, sometimes I have to remind folks, just because I'm in Florida does not mean that I forget about the city where I come from. So, no, good question, though, because uh, I don't think anyone's asked me yet as, as far as why the Chicago is behind me. <laughs> Well, I, I saw that when I was uh, my because my brother uh, broadcast for the Rays uh, for for some time, and and the Tampa fans they were you know it's no no fans are the same as the Philadelphia fans, right? right? But the Tampa that fans they, they didn't really seem to to care as much about baseball or football. I do think that the the Lightning fans though are are pretty uh, pretty intense oh, yeah. out there. For my yeah, and I've seen and I I see Lightning fans all over the world. You know, it's uh, wow. that's. That's one one of the Tampa sports that that and I I guess uh, college as you were saying. Yeah, the, the Tampa fans, the Lightning fans. I will say this much: since being down here now since 2018, the first year when I was here, you would see more of the away fans 
uh, than you did the Tampa fans. And then as the season progressed, you can start finally seeing the Tampa Bay fan base coming back. Mm-hmm. The first year of COVID, I was supposed to watch the Flyers down there at Emily Arena, and then COVID hit, and an hour prior to the game starting is when they called it. I'm like, nope, you know, the NHL has canceled the game, so I end up missing it. But I will say, after winning, when Tampa won the Stanley Cup, and, and another uh, just – Another thing I get to enjoy here is that when he talked about the distance thunder, the amount of people that showed up at Amway Arena, which they call Thunder Alley, it was absolutely insane the number amount of people. And then you, so a little bit further down, you have a, a little spot called Sparkman Wharf. That place, it's almost like Penn's Landing, not as big as Penn's Landing. So you got to think about if you look at Penn's Landing, where they do the most of the singing in that, that little atrium. So that's about as big as Spartan Wharf is. Might be just a little bit bigger than that. But that was completely packed. And for being down there, when they won the Stanley Cup, it, it just, again, it brings you feelings of how Philly has done it. Now, I will say the Lightning fans do know how to celebrate as far as that championship because I don't think anybody truly wanted to go home. And Tampa's not like Philly where Philly stays open all night long. Tampa pretty much shuts down about 11 o'clock for the most part. And so it's it's a different feeling. But I will say, watching them win two back-to-back Stanley Cups down here, yeah, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning fans, by far, your biggest fans in the Tampa Bay area. So, Dylan, I know you had a uh, – I believe you had another question as well as we're talking here about Tampa and everything else. I do. So, obviously, the Tampa Bay area obviously has had a lot of success the last two years. And, Ruben, obviously, you got to be a part – and even Kane as well. You guys both got to be a part of – some success in 2008 2009 and even the years prior as well how important is market success like when it comes to a team you know doing well does that kind of trickle down to the other teams in the area in that market well as far as i'm concerned i love when um when i when i was a gm and when i was in the front office i mean i thought it was great that when the eagles had success when the flyers had success the union has success um you know, the, the Sixers have success. I think that that creates an environment in the city that is a positive one. I don't really, um, I never really felt like we were in competition. I know there's a competition for everybody's entertainment dollar, I guess, monetarily. But as far as the feeling and the pride that hits the city, um, I, I forget, what, I guess it was right around the 79, 80, 81 years when the Sixers were winning championships, the, the Eagles were in the Super Bowl, um, and uh, and the Phillies won the World Series. I mean, that was a time when you really had a lot of pride in being a Philadelphia fan. And, and you know, I think people long for those years. I think that those are um, – that's when I think the feel that the city comes together. I mean, me having grown up in right. in Philadelphia and watching the Flyers go back to back in in the early seventies, that was awesome for me as a child. I was like 10, 12 years old. Um, that was great stuff for me, um, and I, I, I'll never forget those moments. And I'm, you know, I, that that was one of the big things as a GM. That when I took over, the very first thing I said was, well, my job is to try to bring championships to Philadelphia as many poss- as I possibly can. Um, and that was always the goal. And what concerns me about our game today is that you don't see that happening in every city and you kind of wish you did. Right. Right. Sean has a question here, Fuji, before you get uh, back to your next question here. Uh, he says, I love the fact we won this rotation. Hamels, Myers, Moyer, and Blanton. The fact that the Phillies won a title with that rotation has to boggle the mind. 
While it's easy to say that the Phillies got lucky, just about every team listed here had to get a pass to get a pass team that was favored above them. The Phillies National League Championship Series victory over the Dodgers was that win. So great point. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, listen, it's always about um, in, 19, in 2008, it's about uh, once you get into the playoffs, it's really about how who, who makes the baseball roll the best way, right? Who right. plays the best baseball at that time? And fortunately for us, um, I, I mean, I talk about it all the time. We were fortunate that the Tampa Bay, uh, I guess it was a devil race then, uh, that they beat the Boston Red Sox, which was kind of an upset. Um, because I think it put us in a position to have to play a team that was very, very young and maybe not quite ready to win a, a championship. And and I think we took advantage of that as a team and we had had some playoff experience prior. So, um, I mean, listen, there's a whole lot of things that have to happen in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, fortunately for us, we, we pushed, you know, Pat Gillick pushed the right buttons and as did uh, Charlie Manuel and, and the guys played. I mean, the guys stepped up when it was time to step up and they and they played the way they had to to win a World Series. Yes, they did. Okay. I had a question for you. Um, getting back to your dad a little bit. I don't know if many people know this, but didn't he do the voice for NFL Films? He did. He did the voice of NFL Films uh, for many years after uh, John Facenda. And he also did the voice of the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet, oh, really? uh, which yeah. plays during the Super Bowl. That that was that was my dad. Yeah, so it's so funny when we used to travel. You know, obviously in Philadelphia, everybody knew him for the for the Phillies. But then we travel, and people would say, "Man, I, I really know your voice. You you do NFL films." But whenever it was it was uh, you know sometimes there would there would be uh, other people who would say, "I know you from Animal Planet," and he's like, "What? How did people possibly know?" <laughs> uh, from from the Puppy Bowl, but he got recognized for the Puppy Bowl uh, more than uh, more than he anticipated. But then yeah, I got guys... a quick I got a quick comment because I got to say this while we're still on. I uh, and Kane, I'm not sure if you know this, but m when I got traded over to the Phillies in '92, I got an opportunity to play early because Lenny Dextra got hurt in our very first game. I hit a home run. Your dad made the call. And I still have the tape. Your dad, after the game, came down after the game and brought the tape to me and handed it to me. He said, congratulations. I just thought you would like to have this. They cut the tape for me and they handed it to me. I still have it to this day. Oh, and that's it, amazing. And it literally wow. gives me chills. Every once in a while, I'm feeling a little down. I'll throw that tape in there somewhere and, uh, and listen to it. It is the most awesome call. And uh, it's something I will never, ever forget. And if you're, you're, I mean, that's the type of person your dad was. He was, uh, and I got a chance to get to know him better and better and better through my career. I even sat at the back of the plane a few times and had a couple of adult beverages with him. But, um, and, and <laughs> who, that was who, a, who that, was pitching? Who was pitching? That was a big moment for me. The left handed pitcher, I think, was a guy named, I think it was Patterson. We were playing against the Cubs, as a matter of uh, fact. Yeah, against the Cubbies. Wow. And, uh, and I believe it was, I think it was Dave Patterson. I, I can't, um, I, for, at, for whatever reason, I'm playing At home or on the road? It was at home. It was at home. Yeah. It was my very, very first very first start as a Philadelphia Philly wow. in 1992. That's an awesome yeah. story. It, it was an awesome moment for me. And, um, and you know, something I will never, ever forget. And uh, <laughs> hopefully my my kids and grandkids get a chance to, to you know, I'll pass it down to them. But, because that was quite the moment. Yeah. 
Ruben, as far as being traded with Kyle Abbott for five for one Von Hayes, <laughs> I mean, you were bat boy in an 83 World Series, obviously, with Von Hayes on the team. How did you feel when you were coming back being traded for Von Hayes? Coming back. Well, well first, I actually was in in winter ball at the time, playing in uh, in Venezuela. And when I got the call, uh, I got the call from Lee Thomas. He got through to my hotel down there and uh, let me know that I'd been traded to them um, in that trade. And at first, I was like, "Wow, that's unbelievable! That's awesome!" And then, and then it kind of dawned on me, "Oh my God, I'm going to go play for my hometown team!" Like, this is kind of nerve wracking. So, um, but but it was, I mean uh kind of a dream come true right to be able to you know come and play at your hometown team it was just right. pretty awesome i i kind of stunk that year in 92 but um but at least it gave me the opportunity to to uh continue my my long long relationship with the phillies and that was uh that was pretty spectacular as, as a lot of times we like to say that to piggyback on that one What's the feeling like, Ruben, when as a first as a bat boy, right? So you get to experience a bat as a bat boy, then you get to experience it as a player, then you get to experience Citizen Bank Park as assistant general manager and then general manager. What is that feeling like? If you can describe all three of those phases, what's the feeling like to not only just be on the field, then be as a player in front of your hometown fans, and then be in the GM? Like it's got to be a feeling like like no other. Yeah, I don't know if there's too many people can uh, can tell that story, but I I will tell you that um, I just had a lot of sense of pride, you know. And, and at first, as a bat boy, you know, you're almost in all these like amazing, you know, athletic figures, these these icons of baseball, people who ended up being, you know, uh, Hall of Fame type players, um, being around them, and and then you know, picking up their jocks after the after we're after the games and stuff like that. That's you know, that's a little humbling, but but then and but then you know, coming back and playing for the hometown fans, uh, I think I struggled with it a little bit mentally because I felt like I had to live up to something extra special because my dad played there and had success there. Um, but I think when I came back the second time, I felt a lot more comfortable in my skin. You know, I got traded away to, to Cleveland, played there for a couple of years. It was a great two years. But I think just maturing in the game and being able to come back and play again uh, in 96 through 98, um, that was real special for me because I started to feel like a little bit more comfortable um, being at home and being able to deal with some of the pressures of that. Um, you know, we didn't have great teams necessarily, but, um, but certainly enjoyed my time there. Um, and then obviously getting in a chance to, you know, for Ed Wade and Dave Montgomery to have the, you know, the confidence in me to be able to join them in the front office. I mean, again, not too many people get that opportunity and, uh, have, you know, <laughs> I have a, a lot of people to thank and again, and a lot of people to be grateful for, uh, getting that opportunity, I guess. Um, becoming the GM, uh, I felt a whole lot of responsibility. That was kind of nerve wracking for me as well. But uh, but I felt I was ready at the time. I kind of paid my dues for 10 years as an assistant GM and worked under some really phenomenal human beings and uh, and executives and Ed Wade and, and, and Pat Gillick, as we talked about before, and felt I was ready to do it. And, uh, for a while, I guess I did a pretty good job. And then after that, not so good, huh? <laughs> right. No. 
But listen, it, again, it just, it, it happens to me. Things happen in life. Everything in life happens for a reason. Every little thing, no matter which way you look at it. And again, if you appreciate the game, like most people do, and, and I know Major League Baseball is trying to find a way to speed up the game. I love it just the way it is. I mean, you, you already know you're going to be in there for three hours and 15 minutes on a good day. If you get bonus baseball, it's even better, especially when you go the longer the innings. I mean, Lord knows in Philly, we had one a long night. But the great thing is, as a fan, you appreciate it because there's times, when, especially when spring training comes around, you get that kid feeling all over again, and you can just feel it. I mean, it's great. It's all the same feelings that you get when you played, whether you played stickball like we did in Philly, you know, or you played baseball, no matter what what it was. You know, it's just it's that great feeling. So for me, kind of the combination is is watching the Sandlot just before spring training starts because it's just. All those good feelings. So, and again, I, I think there's not enough thank yous, as I told you before, for what you did for the city because it takes a lot. It takes a lot for someone to, to, you know, to to know what they have to do, their accomplishments, and and their failures. It seems that way, but I think you held so much grace when it came to it because it, it could have went, like I said, a, a, complete, a completely different manner. But you did the best you you could with this organization, and and it will never ever not be forgotten because a lot of great people will always remember what you did. And that's why I kind of flashed that picture a little bit earlier uh, was the one here. But, and like I said, I was out in center field watching your face that day, your reaction, just all the emotions. You can just tell I me mean, we just won the world series the year before. And then watching you doing it as a, as a general manager, I mean, it's uh, to this day, I can relive it just like it was yesterday. So again, thank you so much for, for what you did. For well, I appreciate Kane, that. I appreciate that, Angel. I, uh, uh, it was uh, it was a great time. It was a, a great era in our organization, and I was glad to be part of it. Thank you yeah. for breaking that twenty-five year drought. Yeah, that was Without a big winning one. Winning anything, but since we're talking about it, and I, I because it has to be played. It's been a while since the last time we did it, but just to hear Harry's voice with uh, Kane being here tonight, it it's got to be played. So I I want to share with everyone. The, the the call that would be just forever etched in stone. So uh, hopefully this works out just as planned here. Rally towels are being waved. Brad Lidge stretches. The old two pit swinging events struck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008. World Champions of Baseball. Brad Lynch does it again and stays perfect for the 2008 season. 48 for 48 in save opportunities and let the city celebrate. Don't let the 48-hour wait diminish the euphoria of this moment and the celebration. And it has been 28 years since the Phillies have enjoyed a world championship, 25 years in this city that a team has enjoyed a world championship, and the fans are ready to celebrate. What a night. Bills winning 4-3 as Brad Lidge gets the job done once again. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's incredible and you can feel it just like it happened yesterday I'm telling you that, that feeling even I watched it prior to the show tonight and then it's not like you try and get teared up or anything else 
But again, hearing Kane, your dad, that call, that year, the way things went, and there were there were so many things going on in the city of Philadelphia as they're starting to trying to make that turn from things just going bad in the city to getting better. It's just that euphoric feeling in 2008 is just I, I sat up all night and I was working with Verizon at the time in Maryland. I actually was at the ballpark, celebrated, went down to Models, grabbed the hat and t-shirt because when I went to work that morning, I just went straight shot down to DC because that's where I was working with Verizon at the time, just so everybody could see who ended up winning the World Series at night. So it's just there's things and memories you'll never forget. And Kane, I can't tell you your dad, it was the calls that he made throughout the years, the rubber tree plant. I mean, it's just, I, I could go on for days just the way your dad was in the same way with you, Ruben. Well, I mean, I mean, what, what, that, what made that a great call is that my dad was so wrapped up in the game, you know, he'd waited for so long himself. And so, you know, that was just raw emotion you heard from him there. And, and, you know, that's, what he actually felt, right? I mean, he was just so elated, so excited uh, for the Phillies to, to be in that position, having waited so long. I mean, I could tell you, you know, he cared about the Phillies' success uh, as much as as much as any Philadelphia fan. And when you have that, you know, when you're listening to that, a broadcaster call a game that way, right? Merrill's another uh, one who you right. could just hear. He yeah. cares about how the Eagles do when you're listening yeah. to Merrill Reese on Sunday, right? And that just, especially exactly. in, especially in Philadelphia, right, that just really uh, makes it relatable mm. to the fans and, uh, and you know, uh, wonderful to listen to. Just, just some of the calls your dad made, Mike Schmidt's 500-toner in Pittsburgh. You know, oh, yeah. My favorite, my, favorite, my favorite call of my father's was actually Jim Tomey's 400th home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find one. that on on YouTube. I think he does a great job there. And then, of course, there's the uh, Chase Utley. You are the man. Yeah, uh, call with on an yeah. unbelievable play where Chase Utley somehow makes it home. Uh, it's just just really amazing stuff. Phenomenal, Ruben. Because we didn't get a chance to obviously see you on, and on camera at the time when it had happened. What? And we saw Wheels obviously throwing his fist back and forth because he was just as pumped as everyone else because it's been so long since 1980 when it won. When you saw that strike thrown, Brad Lidge just closing out for the season. Where were you at the time in the ballpark? And then what was your first gut reaction? Well, I sit um, the way we set up in the box up there in the executive box. Uh, Pat Gillett sat behind me. There was a two-level box. Uh, I sat on the, on the left corner in the front. Pat left left corner in the back. Um, and then Dallas Green, uh, a couple people to my right, Mike Gondo, our, our um, who was our director of, uh, of professional scouting, on my right. I think uh, Mike Arbuckle was back there with Pat on his right. I mean, it. It's a culmination, you know. There's so much hard work that's put into everything that happens, um, and uh, you know, I had been through the highs and the lows, and it's just, you know, emotion just flying. You know, I, I I'm not afraid to say I was crying, happy tears, and just giving hugs to the guys in the booth there, uh, and obviously to Pat, etc. But uh, it was a kind of a surreal moment, you know. You just uh, you know, you have your own little clubhouse right there as, as far as an office is concerned. You feel like right. there's a brotherhood and, and uh, a brotherhood there. And certainly uh, that was a very, very special moment for all of us. Um, and I thought it was wonderful that when 
you know, Pat Killick took the stage. He he gave Ed Wade a lot of props for that because he was one of the guys that kind of set the tone and uh, brought a lot of the a lot of the talent to that team that ended up winning that World Series. And so, um, you know, just a real emotional moment. I mean, you saw the faces on you see the face on Chooch there after the pitch running out there. Right. Yeah. There, there's nothing that can describe that moment when you're on a team that wins. And I've been unfortunate to have been part of like six or seven different teams as a winning the college world series and some other things. You just, it's just indescribable. You just cannot, it's very, very difficult for you to, um, to be able to duplicate that feeling. And uh, it happens as much as a player as it does as that person in the front office. Well, just to be fortunate as a game day employee, I was working in 101 right by the bullpen. And just to be there with the fans to see that Phillies win the World Series and that 25-year drought just going away, all the Billy Penn rumors, it was amazing. We went up to the club, we went up to the break room party, had a few, and I, I don't think I got out of there. I didn't get home until about 4 a.m. that I went to work. Went to the stadium for the parade. It was hardly any sleep, but the emotions were just flying high. It was amazing. Besides the Eagles winning a Super Bowl, it was just the most phenomenal feeling just to be a part of that, Reuben and King. Man, I'm telling you, it's, it's the most amazing feeling you ever feel. I don't care who says what. And I mean, it's when you're a diehard fan, you stick with your team no matter what, and no matter how bad it is. Even – even we're seeing the Flyers going through it at the moment, let go of their of their manager, their you know their coach, and then they got rid of the assistant coach as well. They didn't fare too well for them last night, but they end up you know they lost only by two goals, unlike the night before when they lost seven to one to Tampa. But you know they're going through, it. and the same way with the Eagles as they're as they're trying to rebuild, and now coming in with Nick Sirianni, a bunch of new coaches, and so it and I guess. Dylan, I know I had a, a question in relation as far as when it comes to the GMs. And so I before we let you guys go, I, I want Dylan to ask this question because I know he had he was asking prior to everyone coming on as far as the difference between uh two teams and, and the GM. So Dylan, if you want to take it away. Yeah, so I guess my question here with the uh, two team situation is uh, you know, obviously I guess you would say, let me let me try and reword this properly here for you guys. Um <laughs> So the question I have for you guys is going to be with the two teams and the GM is, you know, like what's the relationship like between like a GM of like one sport and you would say a GM of like another sport, like, like what's kind of that relationship like between like GMs with the different teams in the city? How, how does that kind of work with you guys? Well, for me, um, you know, when I was a GM, I, you know, you, you, you're, there's a little bit of a brotherhood going on there too. Um, when I was a GM in Philadelphia, uh, became pretty good friends with Howie Roseman, who is now back in that seat uh, for for the uh, Eagles. Uh, pretty good friends um, with Paul Holmgren now. Uh, actually, very, very good friends. He's like my almost daily uh, golf partner. Um, and we forged a friendship. Um, remember just trying to, you know, get together with some of these guys. Ron Hextall, I get to know, got to know a little bit as well. Billy King as well. Um, I think that there's a, a little bit of a brotherhood in that, you know, we all kind of go through this, you know, same sort of trials and tribulations and, and difficulties and pressures. Um, you know, Philadelphia is, uh, is a tough place to, to work at times, but it's also really gratifying. And it's, I would not know where else to work 
to be honest with you, because if I didn't have that kind of heat, kind of pressure, I, I think that I'd probably get complacent. But, you know, um, you know, I did like to have a relationship with those guys. And uh, and I still feel like, uh, you know, there's some kind of brotherhood because, you know, you kind of go through the same sort of, you know, same sort of issues that uh, um, that all the other, you know, all the other GMs go through. Right. Well, one last question I have here for, for Kane, because I know your brother, you as you stated before, he was making the calls for the Tampa Bay race. I believe now he's still with the Houston Astros. He's with the Houston Astros. He went there the uh, the year they won the World Series. And I actually just visited Todd out in Houston. Um, yeah, he's, he's loving uh, doing the play-by-play for the Houston Astros. And Angel, you mentioned at one point the rubber tree plant. That, of course, uh, my dad was... Uh, known for singing high hopes when the Phillies went, uh, you know, deep when they made it to the playoffs and when they won that next game. Uh, Shameless plug here. I'm working on an album titled High Hopes, a music album dedicated, dedicated to dad. Uh, So I've been working on it for a while. It's, you know, I got a lot of, a lot of projects going on, but this one, it'll be finished within the next six months to one year. It's a lot of, it's all, every single song on the album had special meaning to my father, and we use all local Philadelphia talent, musicians, the recording studio. So I travel back to Philadelphia to work on that album. It's a lot of mm. um, great American songbook stuff like Frank Sinatra, uh, stuff like that, stuff that was really special to my father. So that'll be upcoming. That is awesome. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I've gotten a chance to be in a piano bar or two with your dad, and it's it's was <laughs> a joy to joy to listen to him and uh, tickle the ivories and sing a few songs. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, listen, it, your dad has got to be awfully proud. I mean, obviously, you and Todd and uh, I, I mean, listen, King's like the ultimate renaissance man. The man's you know <laughs> professional gambler. He's a He's an actor. He's a singer. I mean, he's the Renaissance man. I love it, man. And he's he. Your dad would be awfully proud, Kane. You've uh, grown into a. Uh, shoot, I've knew, known you since you were a toddler, and uh, to see what you've done with your life and the success that you've had, man, it's been pretty awesome. Thanks, Ruben. I appreciate that. Kane, aren't you an investor now? From what I yeah. read, Just yeah, doing yeah, some so- research. About about uh, two years ago, I launched uh, I launched a hedge fund, uh, Crystal Oak Capital. So now my full time gig is managing money and uh, not getting nice. very much sleep. <laughs> but yeah, so I still I still enjoy playing poker. I did that for ten years, and I'll still go out nice. and play the World Series when I can. But yeah, my full time thing is uh, nice. is managing money. Yeah. I remember when your brother started with a prism. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your dad and. Sean uh, or Ruben, Sean had one more, one last comment here. He said, uh, for you, what was the one trade you wish you can take it back and not pull a trigger on if you have one? (laughs) Well, I think everybody talks about the Cliff Lee trade, uh, having (laughs) traded him for getting, uh, after getting Roy Halliday was, they were kind of uh, combined those two trades, but the the reality of it was that uh, if I could take it back, I'd love to be able to do that one. (laughs) it's okay that happens and by the way again the same way too because it as your heritage i I believe if i remember correct your mom was russian jewish yes she is and then your dad was mexican cuban correct that's correct also catholic so i got the full monty yeah (laughs) (laughs) i got it all covered it's <laughs> but it, you know but it's impressive though because you you got to think about it you know today we know that like the, a lot of the kids today they're they're trying to come up you know and and become unique be themselves 
But in as far as when it comes to and and the word minority can be thrown around different ways, but it was it's nice to see that someone with different ethnicities that can actually come through and make something of themselves and then show their family like as as hard as your your dad worked, but for you to show your girls and your family what can be done and what you can accomplish as long as you believe yourself. So again, thank you just from the heritage side. Thank you for even just making it through and and making everyone proud. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I take a lot of pride in both my the fact that I'm, you know, half Jewish and and uh, and Catholic and have all those different uh, diverse uh, heritages. Uh, my dad went through a lot as a as a young player uh, through the minor leagues and a lot of difficulty through it. And, uh, you know, he helped pave the way for a lot of others. And, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in that as well. We appreciate it. And, and again, thanks. Thank you, Kane, to you for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I'm always looking at your stuff on Instagram. So it's it's like the entertaining roles that keep on going. So thank you for what you share on Instagram. Same way with you, Ruben, on, on Twitter. And I, I've been, I followed you for years. And then the one year I was kind of upset, like, oh, do I unfollow him and then bring him back? I don't know, I'll just, I'll stay there. But again, because, you know, you go through the emotions, but thank God what you did for, for the Phillies. And again, for all the fans. And we, again, we appreciate it. Thank you for coming on tonight. And this is, we're two episodes away from episode 100. So having both of you guys on today, it's like, it's become like an early Christmas present for us. One is because we're just too shy away from, from episode 100. So it's a blessing to have both of you guys on. It's like looking at episode 99 and 100. So we're blessed with having you guys on and we appreciate it. The, the same way, the greatest gift that I have is right in the other room is, is my producer, Debbie. So that's my Chicago tie-in, but Thanks, sir. It's like Christmas every day, and she supports me and everything that we do here. So, thanks you guys for for coming on. I I can't thank you enough, both of you, for what you've done for us as as fans and in the community of Philadelphia. Thank you so much. I also like to thank both of you guys for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you, been able to share this moment. Thank, thanks no. for having me. Thanks for having me on, guys. And Angel Mike told me before the show next program he wants to do the anthem to start it off. Thank you for having me, guys. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was great going back down memory lane. Appreciate no it. Problem. Thank Dylan, you. Thanks for those questions, too. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you guys so much for joining. This for everyone else, we will see everyone on Thursday night at 8 o'clock, possibly here with Andy Kalu on Thursday. We're still waiting for confirmation as I end up speaking to him today. So we'll have hopefully Andy Kalu on Thursday. So we'll see everyone on Thursday night, of course, here, Facebook, Redline Banner, and on Instagram. So thank you to my sponsors, Tampa Joe's. Thank you to Goose's Monte Cristo and for LGDirect.net. With that being said, hopefully everyone enjoyed here episode 98. We will see you all on Thursday night. <laughs> 